0: Hey folks, welcome to Florida Uncut, the podcast all about the people behind the protection and connection of wild Florida. Uh, Today, there's no guest. It's just going to be me talking, and this is actually a monologue I recorded for my other podcast, the Adventure Sports Podcast. It's a very big show that I talk to people in the outdoor industry doing crazy adventures, and uh, I I had just done an adventure of paddleboarding across Lake Okeechobee. And if you're in Florida, you know Lake Okeechobee. It's the big old body of water right in the southern portion, middle of the state. Uh, that kind of looks like the eye of Florida. No one had ever paddleboard across it for as far as I could tell. So my buddy and I on the last day of 2023 decided to paddle across it and it got a lot of media attention and we did it to raise awareness for basically all the stuff we talk about on the show, the connectedness of Florida. And it got a lot of attention, which is great. But we wanted to talk about how the, the health of the water in Florida affects everything. It affects our beaches, it affects our drinking water, and it all starts with what we do in our own backyards, what we do with on our, on our citrus crops and a- any sort of activity humans do has an effect on the environment, good or bad. And we were bringing awareness to this. And it, just in the news, you'll notice that uh, Lake Okeechobee is now going to be discharged again uh, to the St. Lucie River and the Clusahatchee And it's probably going to fuel some pretty major uh, red tide blooms we'll see but i mean this is historically where a lot of these problems start and so with the timeliness i wanted to share this monologue i did from my other show uh, to this show so don't worry we'll be back next week with a brand new episode I, i figured you might find it interesting at the very least all right let's dive in hey folks uh welcome to the adventure sports podcast my name is Mason. This is a very different uh, episode. It's gonna be a monologue, just me talking. We're not gonna do an intro. We're not gonna do any mid-roll ads or anything like that. We're just gonna chat. And the reason is I I, I recently did my own adventure and I'm gonna give you a little rundown of it. It's, it's not a big adventure by any means, but it co- created quite a stir around here uh, in Central Florida and uh, got picked up by like a dozen news outlets and papers it was on the front page of newspapers it was on television it was picked up on tons of of lists and podcasts and uh it's still coming in the amount of uh impact it's had and kind of honestly blew me away and i'm trying to you know figure out what's so different about it and and why it's unique but i wanted to talk a little bit about what it is as well as uh, why I did it and why I think the impact has been there, so uh, put a little context. I'm talking to you after full day of work and taking care of the kids. It's currently twelve oh four am, and I might not like the way this sounds in the morning, but guess what? I'm gonna publish it anyway. And uh, you know when you when you host a show about podcasting. One of the misconceptions is, oh, or, or sorry, not a p- show about podcasting. When you host a show about adventure, a podcast about adventure, one of the misconceptions is you're always getting out there doing this stuff too. We talk to guests on this show that are just astonishingly brilliantly talented and gritty and just have done incredible things. It's humbling that, I get to have a conversation with them, and in comparison, my adventures are nothing, uh, and this one especially is extremely small. It was literally one day, and technically less than half a day. It was 11 and a half hours, but it was a world's first, and it was paddleboarding across Lake Okeechobee in South Florida, so if you've ever seen A a picture of Florida, like the outline of Florida, you'll notice in the bottom third, there's this giant blue body of water that almost looks like the eye of the peninsula, and that is Lake Okeechobee. It is the 10th largest lake in the world – oh, I'm sorry, in the U.S., and it is by tenfold the largest lake in Florida. Uh, When you're standing on the shore of the lake, it is freshwater. You you can't see – The other side, it looks like the ocean. Uh, It's not nearly as big as the Great Lakes uh, in northern US, which are also give you that sense of feeling like you're at the ocean, but it is nonetheless an enormous lake, and I wanted to do this because, uh, one, like I said, when you host a podcast about adventure, oftentimes you don't get to do a lot of adventures yourself because... Frankly, I work on this show on nights and weekends. It's like I said, it's midnight. A lot of this time, people would be using to train for their next adventure or to be on their maybe night adventure. I don't know, uh, but my a lot of my time, my free time is dedicated to this show, and the rest of it's dedicated to family. And uh, I'm you know always working on my house. It's a fixer upper, so there's always work to do, always. And I enjoy it, but you know between all these things leaves very little time and and definitely not very many stretches of time to do adventure. So I've been trying um, to find ways to fit a a true adventure into short periods of time. And you've probably noticed that's been a theme the last few years. And what's cool about it is as someone who is used to or has experience doing really long trips, my longest trip total was like five months, um, but plenty of them have been a couple months long. And that's a long time, you know. That's like a through hike. You know, three, four, five months is like doing any of the long trails in the U.S. in uh, worldwide. Uh, and and of course, we've had guests that have been doing their adventures for years and years and years. It's amazing. So I, I've been trying to get, you know, what can I do? I, I know taking three months off is not possible, nor do I want to at this stage of life. I don't want to be gone for that amount of time. Um, what can I do to kind of, you know, get that? feeling and scratch that itch and it's so much deeper than that scratch that itch is almost a a disrespect to the the sense of fulfillment and accomplishment and awe that adventure brings us what can i do to get that in a very short window uh and the more you discover that the the honestly more hopeful i become because it's like oh i don't i don't have to wait for that big window of time that we often talk about on the show which is you know College, right after college, some sort of gap year, you know, before you start your work or or before you even start college, or all the way to retirement. Or another often, you know, theme we come up on the show is, you know, another break in life like the pandemic or a big divorce or being laid off work. Those three kind of scenarios are oftentimes when the adventures we talk about, the very long adventures, happen. Um, But there's got to be more for all those folks like me who are in a stage of life where taking that amount of time is not possible. So anyway, so that was the idea. I wanted to do Lake Okeechobee because no one had ever paddleboarded across it. And until doing research on this paddle, I, I couldn't find anybody that's even paddled at all across it, kayak or a raft or anything like that. Uh, other than a few people that have done a very kind of the southern portion of the lake. The lake itself is about 35 miles across. It's a little bit longer north to south than it is east to west, uh, but it's where a ton of water in Florida accumulates. The Kissimmee River is the primary uh, source of the lake, and a lot of people call it Kissimmee River, uh or Kissimmee River but it's called Kissimmee and it starts well into central Florida at least 100 150 miles north uh in what's called the Kissimmee River basin and I, that or the watershed uh the northern source of the Everglades Everglades National Park that's the area I grew up in kind of that Kissimmee River watershed it is uh cattle ranches and orange groves and very very rural and the reason I wanted to talk about Lake Okeechobee, one of the reasons and paddle across it was, uh, if you've heard of red tide in Florida, or the, 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 the blooms of algae in the water that turn the water red or crimson or iron uh, or an iodine color and kills a ton of life and destroys beaches and just is, wreaks havoc on the environment, that is in a weird way connected to Lake Okeechobee and the Kissimmee River watershed. And and I'm going to explain how as concisely as I can. So a lot of Central Florida is agriculture. And with agriculture, we push out a lot of fertilizer. And cows use a lot of, uh, consume a lot of grass and poop a lot and those forces combined creates runoff through our waterways that go into this river that's kind of the main artery of central Florida the Kissimmee River and it's filled with these extra nutrients all runoff from orange groves and all sorts of agriculture fields and cattle ranches in other in, in people's yards, you know, over fertilizing your grass and and whatnot, and it leads into the waterways. Trickles in Florida's waterways used to wind; they were very windy rivers. Like if you ever seen a natural river, it goes back and forth, and and that windingness of a river actually helps purify water because it it keeps the water moving a little slower, so things can settle a little more. Uh, It gives the plants a chance to absorb anything in the water, any nutrients, uh, extra nutrients that is, or basically can clean the water the slower it goes. Now, if water is obviously very stagnant, that can create other problems, but this is slowly but surely moving water. Well, many years ago, a lot of Florida was channelized, meaning they just dug giant holes, channels in the ground to fast track that water to the nearest source or the nearest outlet, whether that be another river or the ocean. And that sped the process of that water moving through a landscape um, tremendously to the point that the the land couldn't basically absorb the water. And, And I forgot to mention, when the water's winding as well, a lot of the water's sinking back down into the ground and filling the aquifer back up, which is where our fresh water comes from here in Florida. So that slowly moving water is very important to uh, a balanced and natural environment. So when we go changing all the waterways, many, many waterways in Florida, uh, we are totally disrupting that process. And so I'm painting a picture for you, and I know it's a long picture to paint, but this is a podcast, long form content, and I'm getting there. Um, all that water gets fast tracked in the Kissimmee river and other rivers too. But we're talking about the Kissimmee it gets. And then Kissimmee river itself has been channelized back in gosh, the 50s, sixties. They channelized this 150 mile long river to be 56 miles. That's how many winds and bends they took out of the river. And almost immediately it was seen as this enormous environmental disaster. And it got tons of attention, tons of press in what, is to be one of the largest environmental restoration projects ever completed. Uh, they filled the channel in the straight line, basically culvert. They filled it in and rewound, re-wi- rewinded the river back to its na- natural flow. Uh, not the whole river, about a forty-mile section, and it has reestablish these seasonal marshlands and wetlands and the birds of return. So that's what you got to keep in mind about a river and lakes that are in natural settings. They're not stagnant a lot of times the surrounding area is flooded part of the year which creates an amazingly lush habitat. I'm talking like video game level animals. Like that just it just it doesn't even seem real the amount of animals and the amount of Life that takes place, and w- when the system's very balanced, and we totally screwed that up. Uh, and it's the Army Corps of Engineers who did all this work, and you know they have different goals than you know people with environmental mindsets, or you just didn't understand the repercussions of a lot of work we were doing. And this is happening everywhere, of course, at the time. But we we've learned from this Kissimmee River project. It was actually completed in 2021. I'm not sure if there's a, there are plans to restore the rest of the river's flow, but it's a really awesome success story, or at least a partial success story, uh, which is not, you know, they're often few. They're few and far between in the environmental world. Uh, well, Lake Okeechobee is the next piece of this puzzle, and a lot of that water still flowing through the Kissimmee River just has way too many nutrients in it, and what that does, that gets into Lake Okeechobee, and the lake becomes polluted, and... What happens is these algae blooms, these small, you know, microbacteria, microorganisms uh, are naturally occurring and they are the base of the food chain out in the ocean and in some big lakes like Okeechobee. Uh, But these nutrients in the water, all from runoff uh, from agriculture and fertilizers and whatnot, they kind of supercharge these algae blooms to where they're like way bigger and way more intense than they would be otherwise you would think oh nutrients in the water how bad can that be that'll just help some of the plants in the water you know grow a little more than normal that's what i would think but really when you start looking at it it, hel- it helps a lot of the not bad things because they're not bad themselves but it helps things get so out of balance that it has these really bad repercussions and that's what happens with these algae blooms in the lake. Well, here's another part of the story. Lake Okeechobee, just like the Kissimmee River, is not in a natural state. It is a huge lake that has enormous marshlands and wetlands that surround the lake that flood every year and increases the lake size by 30%. This lake is already like 800 square miles. And when it increases that that amount, I mean, that is a huge amount of land we're talking about that is basically unusable to humans. Well, about 100 years ago, there was a huge hurricane that killed the the the, the Okeechobee or Everglades hurricane. I think it's the Okeechobee hurricane, killed like 3,000 people that lived along some of the shores. And, and that big marshland was primarily the southern shore of Lake Okeechobee. So a lot of the water would, when the lake became really full, would go south. And so along the other, you know, the eastern, western shores, you could build homes. It was a little more dry land. Well, anyway, the lake was uh, thrashed during a hurricane. The water basically created a storm surge from the water in the lake and killed thousands of people. Uh, well, this was right about 100 years ago, and they decided to build an entire levee around around the whole lake it's about 120 miles long all the way around and it basically contains the lake so that without it does not any longer have the seasonal flooding the lake level just goes up and down inside that levee um, it's pretty remarkable and it can fluctuate like 10 feet it's really crazy and the lake itself is not very deep in places it's like five feet deep for miles. Uh, but on average, it's around ten to fifteen feet, you know, give or take. Uh, I think the deepest part of the lake is close to like sixteen feet uh, at, at peak season. Uh, and, and please, I'm not an exact, you know, I'm not an expert on any of this stuff. I just I'm trying to reiterate what I've learned over the last few years, and I might get a lot of it wrong, um, but I'm getting you the gist of it. Well, that lake that gets all these rivers and and, and tributaries into it that are all full of nutrients. It all gets put in the lake, and the lake itself is filling up, and frankly, there's too much water in the lake half the time. So they have to pump it out via these very unnatural channels that go to the east and west shores of Florida. And one's called the Caloosahashi that goes out the west side, and the other is called the St. Lucie River which is a natural, like it did flow, water did flow out that way, but not nearly as much as it is now. These are about big enough to take on a barge, probably not anything larger, these canals. Well, this supercharged, nutrient-rich water, again, dangerously nutrient-rich, is pushed out to the ocean on either side. And if it's in the proximity of any algae blooms, which are naturally occurring again, it just it's like pouring gasoline on a fire it just blows them up to enormous proportions so and the reason that's damaging is they will literally block out the sun and make the water toxic for fish to you know breathe in and out and when they block out the sun because it's so dark it kills vegetation which kills a lot of other organisms that are at the base of the food chain. And that just makes its way up all the way to manatees and all the way to sharks and dolphins and large fish. It's it's hard for uh, any breathing animals like manatees and dolphins to breathe. It can, it can cause a lot of respiratory issues and these huge fish kills, which obviously stink and wash on the beach. It's very unsightly and it causes a lot of tourists not to want to come to the beach during those, uh, Algae bloom. So that's the state of water here in Florida. And Lake Okeechobee is a big part of this problem. Um, And I wanted to paddle across it. And what I wanted to do is paddle from the primary source, the Kissimmee River, down to what's going to be the primary outlet of the, the new primary outlet of the lake called the Miami Canal. And here's a part of the story I forgot to mention. I have no idea if this is interesting at all. This might be the most boring thing we've ever talked about, uh, but I'm going to keep going. It's a bonus episode. So historically, Lake Okeechobee did not have a southern shore. It was just a swamp. And not just a swamp. I mean, it, when I say swamp, I say that in, in with an endearing, uh, it's endearing to me. It's it's a sacred term. It's Swamps are... Wonderlands, and it, it sounds terrible, like I don't know, it has this connotation, but to me, I, I, when I say swamp, I am talking about the place I wanna be right now. Beautiful amount of life, tons of life, uh, lots of hidden treasures, lots of uh, concealed beauty, and big open vistas once you get inside. It, it is a world unto itself. And the southern shore of Lake Okeechobee used to be this massive swamp. And if you've ever heard the Everglades, called the River of Grass, uh, well, that all starts with Okeechobee. Okeechobee's 30 miles wide, and the southern shore was basically one big outlet for the lake. So the lake's water would just flow south 30 miles wide and expanding to 60 miles wide, for about a hundred miles, it would flow all the way to Florida Bay, uh, to the very southern tip of Florida, out into the ocean, and and so imagine a river leaving a lake that's sixty miles wide and a hundred miles long, and like half a foot deep. That's the Everglades, and the Everglades is not one thing. A lot of people think it's just sawgrass, but there is literally dozens and dozens of different landscapes and natural settings within the Everglades that are just I mean it's like a it's it's otherworldly it's absolutely magically breathtaking and along that shore used to be a 33,000 acre forest of pond apples these apple trees that can grow in a swamp like a cypress tree and create these amazing tunnels that you can paddle through. And uh, they're just these gnarly looking trees. And there's still some there inside the levees on the Southern shore. Um, But anyway, it was this wonderfully magical place. uh, Very hard to access, of course, by humans, uh, especially before there were roads. Uh, The only way to get to is probably, you know, a dugout canoe. Um, You couldn't hardly get anything else in there. Uh, but because the lake's so shallow, also you know, airboats like to travel around because the water's not very deep in a lot of places. Um, but it's filled with life, and, and all that water flowing south through, and, and, and with a river only that shallow and moving that slow, it's only moving about half a mile and uh, a half a mile a day. Is I believe how fast the water, on average, moves through the Everglades or naturally did. Uh, There's lots of vegetation growing up. So the water is not, it's not just, you know, endless water. It's, It's grass, it's trees, it's upland, and it's sinkholes, and it's so much variation. The water's just slowly coursing through these prairies, through these channels that look more like traditional rivers and into lakes, and it's just making its way on this, almost like a sheet flow, and that's the term they use, sheet flow all the way, that that is the Everglades. Well, over thousands of years of this happening, once we levied the lake, a lot of that land started drying up. But what we realized is, oh my gosh, this is some of the most fertile soil in the world. I mean, that amount of water and vegetation had created like 18 feet thick peat moss, like like world record level, soil quality so agriculture started moving in right away and depleting that soil and just taking over the area so pushing the everglades farther and farther south and and, and essentially drying them out and so the plan and all this is set up all this is backstory to talk about the adventure the plan is to because all the water, the excess water that we are forced to push out unnaturally the East and Western outlets of Lake Okeechobee, since that is wreaking havoc on our beaches, which has enormous repercussions on our economy, uh, here in Florida, the, the environment is the economy. Uh, so anything that happens to the environment is going to affect our economy because that's what people come here for. Uh, the beaches in the sunny weather and uh, the the pleasant winters. Um, well, if there's dead manatees washing up on the beach in Siesta Key, you're not going to want to go. You know, I, I've flown, I've taken helicopters over uh, red tide blooms, and it is just absolutely devastating watching a pod of dolphins who, who you know don't, can't see a bird's eye view of uh, you know swimming just naturally in these beautiful turquoise beach water uh and then just hitting a wall of red tide and then not knowing where to go they can't see anything and trying to find their way out of it and getting farther and farther in and you you just don't know if they make it i've seen that it's it's devastating and not to mention the you know it looks like little glistening on the water uh, of different spots of white all below you but what you realize that's all bellies of fish decent sized fish all dead belly up in these red tide blooms and being you know washed ashore there's so much fish the 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 predators and scavengers can't keep up with just the amount of carnage it's it's really a devastating scene when it's bad um but anyway because we know that we are wanting to reintroduce more water back to the everglades to one Help, gosh, water the Everglades. Help regenerate that life that's down there, uh, that was once there and still is. It's just far, you know, pale in in comparison to what it used to be. And two, it's going to help alleviate some of that excess water that we get in the rainy season, so that we don't have to keep pushing it out to the ocean. So, uh, it's going to purify that water because the Everglades—that's what the Everglades do. They they It it can take a ton of water and it can make it really clean, even really dirty water. That's a far better alternative, apparently, than pushing it out full of chemicals, full of nutrients into the oceans on either coast. So I wanted to do a paddle across the lake in the same path that water is going to take from the primary source, the Kissimmee River, down to the main outlet, which is going to be through a canal system uh, that we've all, uh, us humans have dug, uh, which will eventually make its way to the Everglades. And it is a solution. It's not the best solution in the sense of, you know, it's, it's humans' attempt to undo a lot of the damage we've done uh, but at the same time, I think I think it's a step in the right direction, and who knows where it might lead to. Just just like the Kissimmee River restoration is a step in the right direction. It's not the full picture, but you know, restoring a third of the river is pretty dang good. Uh, hopefully, we can do the other two thirds in in time. Um, so, that's what I wanted to do, and I'm going to tell you a little bit now about how I did it. Uh, me and my buddy Jordan, who ended up going with me, Jordan Wolfram. He's been a guest on the show. He- he's c- uh, bicycled across the length of New Zealand. Uh, he's done a bunch of bike stuff with me. We're good friends. We live really close together now. And we had two other friends that were going to join, but they had to cancel last minute for different reasons. Uh, but it ended up just being me and Jordan. We started at five in the morning, paddled for 11 and a half hours across the entire lake, 34 miles. And we spent most of the day not being able to see, any sort of land. It was pretty weird. Lots of birds out on the lake, though. And, uh, yeah, we we didn't know how possible it was. And w- Within the first 30 minutes, we saw a boat. And, and, again, it's pitch black dark. It's 5 o'clock. The wind's blowing. And uh, we head out on the Kissimmee River. We're probably a quarter mile away from the lake. We're on the river, which is, you know, I don't know, 150 yards wide or so, maybe a little more at that point. And uh, we go into the lake can't see a thing the wind's going and there are these patches of reeds all over the place so we're paddling and you can see it on the horizon but you can't tell what it is if it's land or not it just looks different than the water and there was the moon was out so we could see a little bit and the uh the reeds we were going through the reeds and i'm like you know okay, this isn't slowing us down too much. I have no idea how many reeds there are. I don't remember seeing these from satellite images of the lake, but now when I look at satellite image, I'm like, oh yeah, that's exact. that's what that is. That's not just, you know, a different color part of the water. It's those, it's green because it's vegetation. Uh, I didn't notice it before when I was looking, when I was building our route. Um, but anyway, we, we were going through the reeds and something jumped up and hit me right in the chest. And I'm, immediately thinking gators. And that's one thing about that I didn't mention. There's an estimated 30,000 alligators in Lake Okeechobee, 30,000. That is like 15 times more than any other lake in the state. I mean, it is an unbelievable amount of alligators. That's where people go to hunt them. That's where people go to see them. Apparently, that's where they all live. Uh, and there's about a million alligators in Florida, give or take. And so that that's a decent, oh, what's that, 3% of, of the population right there in one lake. Um, there's a bunch of them. And it was a very cold morning. I didn't mention that either. It was 40 degrees Fahrenheit when we started, which is pretty dang cold for South Florida. I mean, there's coconut trees on the shore of this lake. It's, it, it's the transition from that subtropic climate to a truly tropical climate. And what's cool is the lake's so long, it's right on that line that you can actually tell that difference from the North Shore to the Southern Shore. The North Shore still feels like Central Florida. Agriculture, lots of oak trees, lots of that almost uh, a ranch land feel, cattle and whatnot. And by the time you get to the Southern Shore, it is you feel like you're in the Caribbean, like it, it it that you know it's funny. I'm just now thinking of this. It was very stark the differences in that 35 miles across, 34 miles across, and it's right there where. Th- so so all that to say, it was very cold morning for that area, and I you know we looked like we were skiing uh, on the paddle boards. I got socks on. I got socks on on a paddle board. They're wool socks, so in case I get wet, a wetsuit would have been better. I just don't have one. Because uh, you don't need one here, the water's like seventy-five degrees all the time, and so the water was warm, and we knew it was going to warm up really quick within, the, you know, the first couple hours once the sun came out. And but we've got our beanies on, I've got jackets on, I've got gloves on, and and and, and <laughs> socks on, and pants, because it was cold. It's cold for me, especially with the water splashing on you a little bit and whatnot. And uh, well, anyway, back to the story. I got hit in the chest with this. Thing and I immediately think it's a gator. I'm like, holy crap, what just happened? Comes flying out of the water, hits me. While I look down. It's it's a gar, about two foot long gar, which is this fish that's kind of really long and slender and has a long nose. Uh, they're everywhere down here, and it freaked me out. And I, but you know, I immediately realized it wasn't a threat. I grabbed it and put it back in the water. And not a few minutes later, probably ten minutes later, another fish jumped out of the water, a small little bait fish. Uh, I think it was a bluegill or a brim, just jumped out of the water, hit me again, and landed right on the board. I picked it up and put it back in. I thought, is this going to happen all day? Uh, But those were the only two times it happened. And and right around that time, a boat pulled up to us that was getting ready to uh, take off. But right as it was accelerating, I guess it saw our lights and came by, shined its spotlight right on us. This was about 30 minutes in, 40 minutes in, and the dude was like, hey, are you okay? And I thought it was going to be like a game warden or FWC officer or something telling us, Hey, you, you actually can't paddle across this lake. It's illegal or something. I don't know. You're putting yourself in danger. Uh, but it was just a boater, a fisherman looking to, you know, just asking us if we needed help. And we said, we're just out for a little paddle. And he said, okay. That was the only person we talked to. And only person we saw until we were done. Like, we, even when we, 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 we went all the way across the lake, uh, the water started, it got calmer and calmer as the lake went on and uh, or as the day went on, and we got to the southern shore. And, and that's the thing, you're going so slow. You're going like two, I think we averaged three miles an hour, which is not very fast, uh, even on a paddleboard. And you see something on the horizon, because the horizon's totally flat, it's water. So you, if anything's sticking up, you might see the top of that for a while. Uh, there are a couple platforms out there, a weather station, which, not a weather station, a weather tower that's probably 20 feet tall and has a little antenna and has some weather vanes and some solar panels, and you can climb on it absolutely drenched in bird poop. It was disgusting, stunk like heck, um, and then a couple mile markers and a couple markers for where the water's really shallow uh, because boats, boat propellers can, if you're flying across that lake, you can hit one of those shoals it's rocky, you can tear your motor off and you rip a hole in your boat, and then you are SOL, because there is nothing for 15 miles offshore. If you remember that story, uh, that song by Gordon Lightfoot called The, Ed- the Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, uh, that very famous uh, or infamous sinking of, an, uh, of a ship on the Great Lakes, Lake Superior, uh, back in 1975, I think. I mean, the, the song came out a year later. It was a huge thing. Uh, that was only 17 miles offshore. So when you're in the middle of that lake, you're basically that far from every shore. So with the wind kicking and a bad storm, that lake can get very hairy. I, I mean, I've, I've heard of 10-foot waves. I'm not sure if that's true. I'm like, that's basically the depth of the lake. Uh, but I, I've heard much more frequently and seems to be more accurate is like five to six foot waves, no problem. Uh, which still that's crazy to me to think that the lakes only like 10 feet deep, uh, some, some, many places it's only like five or six feet deep, especially in the dry season. So anyway, you know, we're, we're, we never saw another person, um, barely saw one boat on the horizon. I mean, it was like, it was a holiday. It was the last day of the year. And the weather ended up being beautiful. It was like mid-60s, completely sunny. Not a single not a single cloud in the sky the whole day until the end of the day. And didn't see a soul. I thought, man, what a beautiful day to be out in the lake. And I know no one would be out in the middle, but even as we got closer to shore, we didn't see anybody. And speaking of the southern shore, we could see it for hours. And I'm looking at this one palm tree for like three hours, I felt like. I'm like, that palm tree... I can clearly tell it's a palm tree, a royal palm. It has not gotten any closer over the last two hours. Are we going anywhere right now? Uh, but, you know, it's just got to be patient and keep doing your thing. Um, Something else I wanted to share is we did see this uh, was smoke, tons of smoke. And the reason has to do with what I was talking about before with the southern half of Lake Okeechobee being basically all agriculture land it's called like the Everglades agricultural area and that whole area grows a ton of food and a lot of sugarcane so a lot of the sugar we use here in the states comes from that area and what they do they 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 cut down this plant called sugarcane they crush the sugar out of it and what's left over is these long thick stalks kind of like corn stalks or anything else uh, but they're very thick very, Fibrous and uh, they crush them, they dry them out, and then they burn them. And they burn a, a massive amount of them. It looks like enough, it looks like the same amount of smoke that comes off an atomic bomb. It is, and it, and it looks like an explosion because when they light it, it, it literally releases a mushroom cloud into the sky, all in slow motion. And they did, this probably happened 10 times throughout the day, and the entire southern shore was just this haze of smoke on the horizon. It was very eerie. They don't do it like every day, but I I, I guess it happens around a few times a year. I don't know that much about it, but I know that there's been some documentaries that have come out about it this year uh, that have won some awards just because, you know, these are surrounded by towns. This is not very far from Miami, which is like three and a half million people. Um I, I don't know how they get away with this because it's also not it's obviously not environmentally the best thing to do, but also it's not like necessary is what I've heard like it's it's kind of a an older practice and there's better ways to kind of incorporate that leftover plant material back into the soil, uh, which is what drew, you know the, the soil quality is what drew a lot of people there in the first place and also the abundance of fresh water from the lake itself. Uh, was hugely attractive and and still is, so you know I, I'm not sure, but that that was a really interesting thing to see, and I did not expect that. Another thing we didn't expect to see was the Goodyear blimp. It flew over the lake, uh, going around the smoke, uh, and I'm like, "What the heck?" And I, I said, "It's got to be football games or something like that's the Goodyear blimp right over there," uh, which is so funny to me because it doesn't need any tires, but it's been advertising tires for years. And what it was going, it was flying from Miami to Orlando for two college football games, and uh, it was it was pretty funny to see it kind of in transit from one game to another. Like it literally worked one night at Miami, then the next day had a game in Orlando, and it just just flew over slow motion. It was pretty cool. Um, didn't expect to have a, an appearance from the Goodyear blimp, and trying to think of anything else interesting to share. Um, it was a huge success media started pouring in afterwards I guess it was a big deal like like I, I can't tell you how many people I talked to beforehand like I called a lot of fishermen and 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 guides and captains and whatnot asking them advice so many of them were like oh that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard please don't do this you're gonna die out there and others that were like yeah that sounds cool or just you know didn't care like oh okay um, a few were thought it was a cool idea but man most people actually did not think it was a good idea i called the coast guard too uh which they i I don't know i guess it's a big enough body of water that they have to be called in for stuff and uh they advised us not to do it either so i was like well we're gonna do it and something a, a lot of people ask is are you gonna have a support boat i did consider that for a while but in the end i decided nah it'd be way cooler if we just did it and plus, um, you know, the worst thing that can happen out there is, you know, my boat sinks, which is inflatable, inflatable paddleboard. Jordan's was a hard board, so if, if something happened to mine and it sank or just deflated, uh, we could just get on Jordan's. It couldn't hold us both probably completely and our stuff, but we could at least hold on to it and float to the nearest shore. Or I had a GPS tracker, a spot GPS tracker, and I could have just pressed basically SOS at any point and got rescued somehow. Probably would have cost me 20 grand but um it'd be worth it in the end save your life but that was you know worst case scenario the trick really was choosing a good day for the weather and that's what made me I've, I've been thinking about this for at least six months but what's kind of caused me to hesitate was uh, aligning a good window of weather and uh, after you feeling prepared and that weather thing led to Gosh, probably a month delay right waiting on the right day. And since I wanted to do it in 2023, the last day of the year was, well, the absolute last chance to make it happen. And uh, although it's not been, you know, the biggest adventure, uh, it was literally 11 and a half hours, not even a full day. Didn't have to camp or anything. I would think I was gone from home 24 hours door to door. Uh, it was every bit the sense of, mystery and uncertainty and excitement and joy and fulfillment and just everything we search for in adventures all packaged into this very doable and repeatable template. And what was cool and it's kind of a realization for me is like, wow, I don't need to be gone for six months. I can be gone for 11 hours or, or 24 hours total and have a, a, I mean, maybe this is traumatic, but a life-changing experience. This was like, people are already like, you're that dude that paddled across Oakwood. The media attention has been very unexpected. Um, And that's a lot of fun too. And what's cool is a lot of my trips, heck I'm too tired after the trip to even talk to anybody. Uh, And it was too long to hold anybody's interest anyway. So this was just enough time for people to find it and follow along for the day uh, because I did post the link to follow the the GPS tracker, uh, but also to to hear about it immediately after it happened. It, it kind of, it, it was really interesting. So expect more of these from me. And I encourage you, if you don't have a month to go do something, if you, if you dream about doing that one day, please don't neglect these shorter adventures in the meantime. Take it from me and take it from our guest on Monday, uh, who's going to be, we're going to be talking all about that. Someone who has, spent their entire life doing adventure uh and in huge like multi-year adventures they are now extremely passionate about very small very micro minimal adventures that fill the soul so find what that is for you and uh yeah tr- try to attach it to to a cause or to something you care about uh th- this one was to bring awareness to that problem I was talking about with, you know, algae blooms and, uh, over, over fertilizing and protecting our, our wild lands here in Florida. It's gosh, probably one of my biggest passions, uh, but choose it for whatever you want. People have really loved the message and, uh, I, I still got, I'm still getting calls and still getting emails coming in wanting to hear about it. And, uh, you know, hopefully this leads to more things. And so, yeah, thanks for indulging me a little bit and talking about it. I have no idea if anybody's still listening at this point. I know it was quite the lecture at the beginning. Uh, And if there's anybody out there that's an actual expert on any of that stuff, please forgive my mistakes and also reach out and let me know where I messed up. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bring these issues to, you know, to the normal everyday folks like me that are just trying to understand in between uh, the busyness of life. So, and lastly, I, I did want to mention uh, that this was possible because of uh, the, the the generous folks over at Bluefin Sup uh, Stand Up Paddle Board. Uh, they they sponsored our podcast a couple years ago, and that that they sent me a board and uh, a paddle board, and I, I had. Paddleboarded some before, but I was kind of more kayaking at the time. But I was looking for something new, and I have absolutely fallen in love with paddleboarding. It's basically hiking on the water. You know, it's a walking pace. It's a great you know workout, but not crazy strenuous. And you see so much because you're standing above the water, and so you can look down in the water. And with clear water, that is even non-clear water, you, you you just see so much more. It's so much fun and. It, it's very much my favorite thing to do now. and uh, gosh, I, I can't thank them enough for providing the board to do this paddle. I needed something a little more uh, built for you know a little more rugged one, but also a little longer and narrower to, to do this. And they have some great deals. Uh, I, I definitely encourage you to check them out and, y- and you can find out more at Bluefin sup supboards.com. And uh, yeah, they have very well-priced boards and it comes with a paddle and pump and a bunch of, a phone case even, and some of them come with seats uh, that you can also attach and basically use it as a kayak. Like it's, it's very versatile. I love inflatables because you can just roll them up, put them in their bag. It's a backpack and that comes with it too. And uh, any any time I'm like, okay, I, I need to travel with it, but I don't want to put it in the back of the truck. Well, I'll just deflate it, roll it up, and and tie it down, or put it on the inside of the truck. Even so, I love it. It's it's a lot of fun, and um, I just wanted to say thanks to them for thinking, you know, agreeing with this idea. They're based in the UK, so I don't know, you know, how much they care about Lake Okeechobee and whatnot. But I told them the story, and they were like, "That sounds awesome. Definitely, we, we're in." And uh, y'all are awesome. So thank you so much. And if you're in the market for a paddleboard, check them out first. Uh, I I have two now, and uh, they've lasted me a long time. I have done hundreds of miles on my bluefin sup, and I've never had an issue. So thanks so much. We're going to have a new episode on Monday, and uh, this is going to come out Wednesday, well, today. And yeah, expect a new episode from us uh, tomorrow. Or, or not a new, a revisited tomorrow. So yeah, thanks so much. Uh, this was a lot of fun. All right, get out there and have some fun. Hey folks, thank you so much for indulging me. Hope that wasn't too painful for you. Uh, don't worry, we'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. And also I wanna say thank you to the person that made a donation to the show, The platform I use doesn't tell me who it is, so if you're listening, thank you so much. That means a lot, and if you'd like to donate, there's a link in the show notes.